ships a cakewalk. If we're behind them, never mind, we'll fight and fight and kill the good old colony. Welcome to AFLW One-Eyed Tigers and Pies, the podcast where we explore all things AFLW, so long as they're yellow and black or black and white. I'm Tony and I'm a one-eyed Richmond fan. I'm Alexandra and I'm a one-eyed Collingwood fan. So welcome, Tone. We're halfway through the season. Woohoo! Halfway through the season already, four games in. But I think there's a more important milestone we should celebrate. We are 25 games into the history of AFLW. So do you know what 25 games is called in an AFL-M season? <laughs> no, tell me, Tone. What's 25 games? It's called one season. Hello. How are all these first-year players with four years' experience ah, going? Isn't it fantastic to be a first-year player with four years' experience? That's right. And I think we need to look at the expectations we have around uh, performance and think, wow, what would we expect from an outstanding first-year player? I think the quality of football we're seeing here for a bunch of first-year players is beyond anything you'd ever expect in real in in what we've seen from the men's comp. 100% agree. No argument there at all. I, I figured I was preaching to the converted on that one. <laughs> you are a little bit. So, yeah, it's very exciting um, to be halfway through the season. Let's start with Richmond Geelong, shall we? How do you, how did you go? We should. Well, we Richmond had another uh, relatively big loss, but I'm actually the most positive I've been all season. So maybe that's a combination of either how well we played or how low my standards and expectations are. Or potentially a little bit of both. I do remember you digging in to me last week for being positive after a loss to Fremantle. So, um, yeah, I'll dig into you about it this week. You still lost, Tone. We still lost, but let's face it, you're in finals contention regardless of what you think, and we really aren't. So now we're at the stage I'd like to call the Carlton stage where your future's not looking great for the season, so you just start looking for green shoots and, and positive signs. Carlton gets that after their round one game with Richmond in the men's cup. <laughs> sure. Let's talk about some of the positives that came out of that game. Yes, we lost, but it was actually the third highest scoring AFL women's match ever. And I think that's pretty awesome. It was a really exciting game to watch. I don't know if you actually got a chance to see it. I'm afraid I didn't get a chance to see it, but I did see some of the wrap-up afterwards. And um, and you're right. Like, that is a pretty impressive achieve- achievement. 112 points. 112 points. And uh, it was really goal for goal for a while there, which was great. Um, absolutely led by Monique Conti. Uh the best game I've seen her play in Richmond Colours. I probably didn't watch that many in other seasons, but she was absolutely stunning. 28 possessions, most of them contested. I mean, I think this is potentially an issue that she has to go get the ball herself all the time because she's really the only strong midfield we've got. But she was absolutely unbelievable. I think it shows that Richmond really just needs a midfield. You know, we've got the basis and some star power, but, you know, put two or three extra midfielders around uh, Conti and... You know, I think we could we could improve out of sight. Phoebe Monaghan, again, I think I've mentioned her just about every week. She was absolutely fantastic down back, uh, just mopped up everything. Um, but probably when I look at it, of our 171 disposals, a quarter of them were either Conti or Monaghan. Absolute quality players, but just probably no, not much depth behind those two in the midfield right Did now. Did you say a quarter of your disposals came from two players? That's right. Fantastic by those two, but it really says there's just not a huge amount of support for them. Uh, there's really not. And we did have this discussion, I think, in the very first episode about star power versus falling off very quickly. So, hmm. 
Yeah, and I think I have to, uh, you know, call back to your comment. You said you're really worried about Richmond's depth and, you know, I think that's been pretty prescient. So they did extraordinarily well to come that close given that you can't win with two players bearing that much of the load. No, no, and if you actually look at the stats, it's not a surprise when we got dominated in the inside 50 Mm. count as well, which reflects where the game went. However, one thing we did do well is we kicked straight. So I'm pleased that my coaching from last week about the importance of kicking straight really paid off. I'm glad they listened to you on that. I also think I'm absolutely sure that the entire Richmond team listens to this podcast. Uh, In terms of the other reason I think we stayed in it, um, I do want to talk about Alice Edmonds. 32 hitouts, absolutely dominated the ruck, easily the dominant ruckman on the ground. Uh, for a young player, I think she's she's 19 or 20. She's really been showing a lot, and I think she's really got the potential to be a uh, a proper, uh, you know, one of the the top ruckmen in the league in time. Great. She's got Shani Layton to beat, um, but okay, sure. Yeah, that's right. Well, I don't think I've actually seen her kick the ball yet, so I, I'm not sure I can compare to Shani yet. <laughs> Uh, the other person who I did have a bit of a go at last week was uh, Sabrina Frederick, and I just want to shout out and say again, clearly listen to my podcast because she was really much better this week. She spent a lot more time up the ground in the ruck, and she was really putting her body into the contest. If she didn't mark the ball, she was blocking for other people to go and get it and uh, really attacking the ball on the ground a lot better. So. I was really pleased with how much more she was involved. So she's obviously listening to the podcast as well and has taken your advice. So it's it's all working well, Tone. Yeah, that's great. So um, probably what I'd like to get across is, uh, you know, everyone else in Richmond's midfield, I think uh, it's really important you step up and help uh, Monique Conti out. So let's get that together for next week. Great, great. Okay, I hope you're listening, Richmond. Okay, uh, should we move on to Collingwood and Melbourne then? Yeah, let's do it. I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> wow. That's that's an interesting response. I thought you were supposed to be a one-eyed supporter. I'm totally a one-eyed supporter, but it's just depressing. The season's over. It was nice while it lasted. So season's over. Season's over. Let me just stop you for a second. You're one game out of the finals and not that far behind. And some of your, your people you've got to get ahead of have some tough games coming up. <sighs> yeah, I suppose so. And in Collingwood's defence, they did have a six-day break after flying back from Perth, and I think that's probably quite a hard gig. But you're up against the Bulldogs, who, you know, are the only other competitors to the finals. With a win, you can knock them out, and there's still three games. There's lots that can happen in those uh, games ahead. There are, There is lots that can happen. It's just that, you know, as flying so high after the first couple of weeks and still after Fremantle last week because we lost but it was we were still playing our game and uh, it was such exciting footy and it was great to be a part of and then on Friday night it was actually just quite depressing. Um, so you commented yeah. that you feel like they weren't playing your game. What do you mean by that? Uh, so I've talked in the past few weeks about how wonderful it is the free-flowing running game and that there's always people running past to um, to receive the handballs and and just keep it moving and everybody was kind of keeping moving at all costs. What it looked like sitting and watching Friday nights was that everybody was converging on the ball. So every time the ball hit the ground and there was a pack, there'd be three Collingwood players in there. I have no idea if 
I, like I'm, I'm not enough of a strategist to be able to understand why that's happening, but it just, it felt like that was not how we play football. And I don't know where it comes from. It's an interesting point. I can't imagine that the game plan changes dramatically in that time. And and some of the things we have seen Collingwood in the past is be really good at is that that release handball to someone running past. So yeah. is it the opposition? It might be the opposition. So Melbourne were really good and their defence was extraordinary. Yeah. Is it just that, you know, they were putting on more pressure? But they weren't putting on more pressure than Fremantle. So I don't understand. Maybe we were tired. Maybe maybe the coach had said to them, um, you're not half hard enough at the ball. And so now they all felt they had to dive on the ball. There you go. It's the coach's problem. I genuinely don't know. We still had some great players. Jamie Lambert stood up as always. She got eight coaches' votes. I actually think that was a bit generous, but she was still good. I won't take it away from her. She's she's legend. Bree Davey played her best game in Collingwood Colours. I don't think we've seen her at her best this year, but she was really good um, in everything and, and really accurate on Friday night. And I do want to call out Shani Layton. We talk a lot about Shani Layton because she's awesome and also um, I did at one point pick her to be best on ground as my bold pick. Yep. She was best on ground for the first half. She was uh, quite extraordinary. She did kick another goal. Uh, she's turning into one of our most reliable goal kickers. So good on you, Shani. Oh, great work. Yeah. Um, the doubleheader was interesting. So we were playing at whatever the Docklands Stadium is called these days. Uh, um, Marvel, I think. Yeah, oh, there that's right, yeah. There was another game on after that. There was another game on after that. And I find this really interesting. I'm trying to think of how to describe this, but it felt like fl- fairy floss in comparison. We actually left the other game at halftime because we'd been there a long time watching yeah. football. But the women's game, it, okay, it wasn't a great game of football because Collingwood did not play well, but it was hard fought and everybody was, you know, in it at a 100%. Um, and it was really, really tough and you could hear the crunches and, you know, it was actually, it's quite extraordinary. And then the men came out with their nine nine on each bench. Um, and did a training run. So, you know, there's no tackling. It was all just kicking the ball backwards and forwards. And it's quite extraordinary, the skill that they were showing and the the marks and their accuracy and all of that stuff was, you know, it was quite amazing, but it felt really, really light and didn't mean anything. Yeah, and that makes sense. When there's nothing actually on the line, there's a difference between people who are playing to win a premiership and people who are playing fundamentally not to get injured. Be, it is for a very good cause, and that's great. But, yeah, you can't imagine that they're, they're taken with the same seriousness. No, and I I didn't like the juxtapositioning of it, and I felt that it diminished the women's game a little bit. On the bright side, you could look at it, there's a real opportunity there that people who haven't been exposed to the women's game get to see it live and go, wow, this is great football. Possible. Yes, it is possible that that happened or it's possible they talked through it as apparently the commentary team did on one of the television channels um, previewing the men's game while the women's game was on. Anyway, uh, that's not today's rant, so we won't go there. What I will say is that Collingwood was uh, very hard at the ball and cared a lot and was trying very hard to win that game. Um, to the point that we got three season-ending injuries. 
actually only two of them on the night, but still. Well, season-ending injuries is a four-week injury, I guess, is the problem. That is true, but but some of our season-ending injuries are um, are not that. So Ash Brazel um, was stretched off, uh, and it's turned out she's got an ACL injury. So she's out for 12 months. She's an international netballer as well. So she has not only ruined her AFL season, AFL W season, but she's um, ended her netball season as well. So that is devastating. Yeah, that's that's very tough. Ruby Schleicher uh, broke a wrist. That's a season-ending injury that wouldn't be a season-ending injury if it was a proper length season. But uh, that's it for her for this season because of that. Um, and we found out after after the match that Georgia Goulet, um, one of our other players who wasn't playing on Friday night but had also done an ACL um, earlier in the week. And Michaelia Roberts, um, who has moved down from the Northern Territory for the duration of the season, uh, also um, has a broken wrist. So we went into the match with only one player on our injury list. Uh, and we've come out with five, and four of them are potentially season-ending. So, yeah, that's not good. It's particularly difficult with the uh, relatively small lists that there's not a huge amount of depth that you can go back to. And we can't really complain because, like I said, we had one going in. Um, so, yes, I'm not complaining too much about it. I think everybody's in the same boat, but it is a bit devastating. Yeah. So maybe we should actually look forward okay. to what's coming up. It's time to look on the positive side, put the loss in the past, and what's ahead of us? What's ahead of us? Well, uh, we're heading to uh, Morwell on the weekend to play the Bulldogs. Okay. And, well, we're off to Robertson Oval, and I don't know where that is. Do you? Uh, no, I don't, but it's a Giants home ground. Oh, sorry, it's a Giants home game. So I'm going to presume it's somewhere in Sydney. Somewhere in Western Sydney, I guess. Okay, probably not going to that one. <laughs> well, I am making the trek to Morwell. Really? I'm sorry. Yeah. Nah, it'll be great. Love it. Love a country oval, sitting on the grass on my picnic blanket and uh, and watching the footy. It'll be great and... Yeah, I'm going to enjoy the footy and I'm going to try not to get too invested in it so my weekend's not ruined if we lose. <laughs> that wouldn't be a one-eyed supporter if you weren't overly invested in football. Uh, thanks, yeah. Okay, how are you going to go against the Giants, Tone? Uh, we will show some green shoots. What does that mean? That means that I will find something optimistic to say about the team even though we probably get uh, beaten by 25 points. Uh, okay. Just reality, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we've got. I think what we've found is we've got a long way to come to uh, to really get up with the elite teams of the comp. In fact, if you look at the ladder and where we sit, we're actually okay. We're actually quite competitive on the scoring front, but we've leaked way too many goals in defence. So I think our points against is something like you know forty or fifty points worse than everyone else. So we've got and a long way to go. Think- I actually think you have a really good defence, so I think we're coming back to the problem is in the midfield, not in the defence. That's right. If the if they're pumping the ball inside 50 over and over again because the midfield keeps losing it, your defence is going to be uh, struggling, no question. Yeah, nothing much you can do about that. Uh, I have actually watched the Bulldogs play at least twice, maybe three times, because their home ground is just around the corner from me. 
Um, so I go and look at them play quite a lot and they're not very good. So even if we don't play well, we might still win. Okay. Is that your bold prediction for the week? How did you go last week? Uh, my bold prediction for last week was that someone, anyone, will kick more than one goal. And <laughs> I won. <laughs> Sarah Rowe. Sarah Rowe. Thank you, Sarah Rowe. She kicked two goals. Sarah Rowe's um, the Irish recruit who likes to bounce the ball and she's um, she's wonderful. She's having a bit of a breakout season. Like she was good last season. She's better this season. And she kicked two goals. And I do have to say thank you to the umpires because she kicked both of them from 50-metre penalties. Oh, <laughs> I've got a bit of a rant about 50-metre penalties that I managed to avoid getting into. Oh, cool. Tell me about it. Go on. Oh, look, I just hate this soft 50-metre penalty for really minor offences. I don't know if you saw the Richmond game, but there were two 50-metre penalties that resulted in Geelong goals for really, really minor offences. The ball was dropped. Yes, it was put on the ground, but at the time the Geelong player was on the ground, there was no actual delay of game. And that's what the 50-metre penalty was for, was for delay of game. So... You look at this and go, that is a really harsh penalty and it took us from eight points down to, you know, over 20 points down. And so really it went from the game being winnable to the game being almost out of reach. So I think the 50-meter penalty is too harsh and when I see in the paper that other people are suggesting, you know, shorter penalties, I actually think it makes sense. I think it makes sense in the men's game as well. 50 meters is too big a penalty for the kind of minor offenses they're giving it out for. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you get away with that one because you said you wanted in the men's game as well. Yeah, that's right. I, look, I would be happy for the umpire to have discretion. You know, if it's a minor offence like a that doesn't really delay the game, sure, bring back the old 15 meter penalty or a 25 meter penalty. But for something where you're deliberately holding it up or repeatedly doing it or abuse the umpire, yeah, no worries. Give them the proper 50 meter penalty. Um, you have another perspective on free kicks as well, and I think you should share that with us, Tony. Yeah, I do. So I was having a little bit of a rant watching the game, particularly after two 50-meter penalties in a row, and then I started thinking to myself, my God, the umpire is calling all of these free kicks against us. It's totally unfair. And so I thought I really should rant about that, but then I realized no one wants to listen to a rant about umpires that are just ranting with no facts. I thought I'd go get the facts. I looked at the free kicks in the match. There were 39 free kicks in the match. Now, if you remember from last week, women only play 52% of the game. So if you actually adjust that to a men's length game, that's 75 free kicks. I then went and looked at the historical record or averages for men's games. And do you know what that is? I wouldn't have a clue. Okay. But I, I wouldn't have thought it was that high. 75 is quite high. That, I'm sure we don't get that many. Exactly. The average hovers between 30 and 40 free kicks per game. And then I thought, well, maybe this was just an unusual game. So I actually looked back at the rest of Richmond's season and there were 36 against Carlton, 34 against Gold Coast, 37 against North, which translates to 69, 65, 71. So consistently, women's games are having the equivalent of twice as many free kicks being paid. So. What's going on? Is the women's game over-umpired? Do women just naturally give away double the amount of free kicks of the men? Ooh, them's fighting words, Tone. Uh, it's interesting, and I'm really glad that you did those stats because 
I have been feeling all this season that the umpires are trigger happy and I've never complained about it because um, like you say, who wants to hear people complain about the umpires? But this makes me feel like I'm justified. I don't see that many terrible tackles or worse tackles or better tackles than the men's game. I don't look at it and go, wow, you don't see that in a men's game or you do see that in a women's game. It looks like the same sort of game. Twice as many free kicks. Well, that's right. um, it's really interesting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep an eye out for that. The other thing, Tone, is that I think we need a new segment, which is Tony being nerdy. Yeah, I think that's working out quite well, actually. So yeah. it's Tony being nerdy. I'll have a rant, but I'll back it up with some data. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Well, as opposed to, so Tony's nerd rant. Tony's nerd rant. So, do you have any uh, rants you'd like to um, not back up with data? <laughs> Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, I actually have a rant about ACL injuries. Okay, lead yeah. off. Clearly, I'm I'm hurt, wounded about um, Collingwood getting two ACL injuries in a week. That's that brings it up to twelve for the AFLW for this season. Women playing AFL are five times as likely to have an ACL injury as men playing AFL. So that's that's my first point. I want to um, sidetrack for a couple of moments. Did you know that men are more likely to survive a car crash than women? I did not know that. Because, and it's nothing to do with, you know, how strong they are or anything like that. It's because crash test dummies are male. Okay. Um, did all you crash know? test dummies or just yep. the ones they use yep. in car accidents? Uh, yeah, the ones that they use to simulate car accidents to develop safety features in cars are based on male physiology. Right. Did you know that men are more likely to I – mean, I actually don't know if they're more likely to survive a heart attack, but they're more likely to be diagnosed or recognised as having a heart attack um, in the early stages at a point where people can call help than women are. It's because the symptoms of a heart attack that everybody knows and recognises are how heart attacks play out in men. Women experience heart attacks differently and they have different symptoms. Okay. So where I'm going with this, so this is a little bit of a different rant because most of my rants are things that the AFL could actually do something about right now if um, if they wanted to. This is a bit of a different one because it's historical and it's going to take a long time to equalise. But I would hypothesise one of the reasons women suffer ACL injuries playing AFL at a significantly higher rate than men is because all of the data and information and research is based on men. And that's not something that you can just fix in five minutes or in a season. It's going to take a long time. And I know there's people working on it. There's lots of people who have sort of recognized this as an issue and are working on it and are trying to figure out what we can and might not be able, and might be able to do about it. But I kind of wanted to put it in context that this game and the the injustice that women suffer is not just about decisions that people are making on a day-to-day basis, but it's actually something that's entrenched in who we are as a society. Okay. So 
not that I'm uh, attacking that conclusion, but when I sensed where your rant was going, I actually had come up with a couple of different ideas on what might cause it. And it's just interesting we ended up in a different spot because I wondered then actually were the rules set up about what a legitimate tackle is, was that set up for men's physiology who doesn't cause injury in that way? Mm, could um, well be. Which I thought was one possibility. But then the second one is one of the things we talk about a lot is women here don't have a still have to have another job. They're not full-time athletes. Is it a strength and conditioning issue as well? And is there a yep. way to figure that out? Uh, cool. I think both of those are very fair points and I think that's actually it, it's all feeding into the same thing that we don't know enough about what causes them or why. So if your so, recommendation is let's get more data, I'm with you. <laughs> I knew you would be, Tone. <laughs> I knew you would be. Oh, dear idea. That was my rant. That was a bit of a depressing rant, actually. Right. It, it feels like you're a bit down this week. So uh, I think we'll have to try and get a little bit more upbeat this week. What you need to do is thump the Bulldogs, we'll thump the Giants, and we'll come out with a much more uh, upbeat and exciting uh, set of rants and reviews next week. Is that your bold prediction? For that the might week, be Tony? my bold prediction. Well, what I was going to have is my bold prediction is that I would get a prediction right. That felt a little bit circular. <laughs> my actual bold prediction is going to be related to what I see as big, Richmond's biggest issue. There's going to be three other midfielders who get more than 10 possessions. More than 10. 10 possessions isn't actually that many. Have you seen Richmond's possession count? <laughs> <laughs> and midfielders, legitimate midfielders, so not rebounding defenders. So wonderful as Alec McCool uh, Chot is, she doesn't count as a midfielder since she's playing off the halfback. So for my bold prediction, Collingwood will win. Okay, that is pretty bold. All right. Oh, so what's okay. up for this weekend? You're off down to Morwell for the game? Yes, indeed. I'm thinking seriously about going to watch West Coast. They're down at Lethland oh, Park. Oh, fantastic. Not too far away, and I haven't been to actually a live game this year, so... I think I might wander down and check that out on Sunday. That'll be great. Who are they playing? They are playing the Gold Coast Suns. All right, then. Um, that sounds like a wrap tone. Sounds uh, like Thanks it to me. for chatting. So we'll go with our usual two-word sign-off. Go Pies! Go Tigers!